Welcome to the Healthy Hormones for Women podcast. I'm your host, Samantha Gladish, online nutritionist, weight loss coach, and hormone fixer-upper. I'm excited to bring you a weekly dose of information and inspiration, sharing with you simple and effective strategies from health, wealth, and all things personal growth. Get ready to become the master of your hormones and experience vibrant health to live a life of more power and possibility. Welcome back, ladies. I hope you're doing well. I am sitting here on a Friday night and recording this intro, and I just got back from an acupuncture appointment. So I'm a bit in this like acu drunk feeling, this like acu high. I've, I've spoken about it before, and it's a great feeling, let me tell you. But I was, and maybe this is the case for you, but I was like, driving home from my appointment and thinking about like, oh my God, I got to get this podcast like up and this intro and the outro and I got to get this set up because I want to be able to actually take time off over the weekend and not think about my work. And I know that if I didn't sit here on a Friday night and get this out there um, and get this done and over to my editor, I would just be thinking about it and ruminating about it all weekend. So I wonder if you can relate to that where you're just like, just got to get this thing off my no matter how sleepy or acu high I might be feeling. I just gotta I just gotta do that. So that's what I'm up to on this Friday night. It's a rainy, gloomy night and it has actually been a short week because we celebrated Canadian Thanksgiving last weekend and so it was lovely because we had Monday off. But man, it's been a week. It it has felt like the longest freaking week. I am tired. I am like so excited to sit down on my couch tonight and literally do nothing for the whole night. We are making tacos tonight, and I've got some delicious mango kombucha I'm going to enjoy and cuddle with my cats and my dog and Gaten on the couch, and probably just the dog because the cats don't often come and cuddle on the couch. My older cat does, Monkey, he does, but not our little cat, Maggie. She just has this thing with the couch, like she never goes on it, or she never goes on our bed. Like it's just, she's kind of weird with stuff like that. So um, probably won't be cuddling with her, but I'm just so excited. I really am to just like unwind. And we had just a really busy Thanksgiving weekend, which was beautiful last weekend and just like something every day and all weekend long. And then it's just been a really busy week and then we have a busy weekend ahead like just so much social gatherings going on which I actually welcome because it's been a long time where I feel like we've really gone out and enjoyed people's company and like did stuff with our lives outside of working and being stuck at home all the time so I'm actually really looking forward to it but I need a little bit of downtime it's so important to have those healthy boundaries I know that like my body is just really craving to just slow things down and uh, fit in as much like self-care and maybe some naps over the next few days in between some social gatherings okay so Let's dive into our episode because I'm really excited about our episode today, as I am for pretty much every episode. I am interviewing Stephen Wright. He is a medical engineer, a Kalish Functional Medicine Institute graduate, and a gut health specialist. He has spent close to $400,000 overcoming his own health challenges and using everything from Western medicine to shamans. He's the founder of HealthyGut.com. He lives in Boulder, Colorado with his fiance Shay and their two dogs. And I'm really excited to interview Stephen because he is literally like one of the smartest guys I know when it comes to all things gut health. And so this is essentially going to be like a part one episode and we're going to do a part two because... 
there's so many other things that we want to expand on and I want to dive into. And so part one today, we are really going to talk about digestive enzymes, how they work. We're going to talk about hydrochloric acid and why so many people are deficient and the importance of hydrochloric acid. And there's a lot of confusion around that and different factors that lower our hydrochloric acid. Stephen does dive into his story and I so appreciate him just being really open and vulnerable. His story with all the gut issues and all the things he was going through definitely has some embarrassing moments and I just so acknowledge him for being open and sharing it because he's not the only one. I know that the embarrassing moments and stories that he have, so many of us have something very similar. And so I really appreciate him sharing that and it's through sharing these stories that we can truly empower other people to take charge of their health and their lives. I don't know if you've ever heard that saying before, but your mess becomes your message. And I truly believe that. So he definitely dives into his story. We talk about some of the biggest factors that contribute to an unhealthy gut. And we also dive into the specific carbohydrate diet. So if you're unfamiliar with that, he's going to give you the lowdown on, on really what that means and how it can be helpful for you. So Steve and I have kind of been like acquaintances for many years. We had met years ago at like kind of a mastermind, like business event. And it was this really awesome event. And we had met there. And I've just kind of seen his growth over the years and all of the amazingness that he's created and all the amazing testimonials too that he's had in his business and so many people he's supported globally. And more recently, he started his own supplement line and I have used his products and they are freaking fantastic. There are three specific products and we will dive into them in the episode. And I just wanna give the lowdown on some of them right now because I do personally use them. And I did my GI map test. I, when was it now? Maybe back in June or May or June. And actually my test came back pretty great outside of having H. pylori, which I already knew I had. I There wasn't a lot of issues with like gut dysbiosis or anything like that, but there was more on like the detox front that I really needed to support. And so I incorporated a lot of Steven's products as part of my protocol, my healing protocol. So he's got three products. He's got HCL Guard, Holozyme, and Tributerin X. So today we really focus on the Holozyme and the HCL Guard. And the Holozyme is freaking amazing. It's a digestive enzyme. It really does help with reducing bloating and gas. It could also be really effective for supporting healthy blood glucose levels as well. And when Gaten and I went away for our honeymoon in BC, well, of course we were eating a lot and enjoying food and going out for some amazing dinners and all sorts of things. And I took that enzyme religiously like at every single meal. And it makes such a difference in bloating and just gas and stomach discomfort. And so I love his enzymes. I take them religiously. I take enzymes pretty much every day. You've probably heard me speak about enzymes numerous times before on the podcast and his are just really fantastic. So I take them every day because I really want to optimize my gut and I want to support the digestive process. And sometimes I'm like eating fast and I'm not focusing on chewing and enzymes can really help to support that process because it's going to help you break down your fats and your carbs and your proteins more efficiently. But of course, it's it doesn't mean don't focus on, you know, slowing down and chewing. You should obviously do those things. But these are where enzymes can really just be really helpful and effective for that. So I'm really thankful for his enzymes. And they're also great 
great for like if you just have a lot of digestive upsets, then they're going to be great for you. And if you've been struggling with like a lot of food sensitivities as well, enzymes are going to be really important for you. Uh, so we talk about his enzymes today. And then we also talk about HCL guard and which is hydrochloric acid. So this is really going to support regular bowel movements. It's also going to optimize digestion, of course, and really speed up the digestive process, like really just support that process. And, um, also really help to soothe bloating as well. It's one of the biggest reasons why so many of us experience so much bloating is because of we have issues with stomach acid, like low stomach acid. And that plays a huge role, at least for myself with H. pylori. It's going to impact my hydrochloric acid and then adding an infection on top of that bloating. Oh my God, it's definitely something I've been experiencing, I'd say over the past little while, but it's just gotten so much better now that I'm addressing the H. pylori and really supporting the hydrochloric acid. So we're going to talk about those two today and then stay tuned for part two, because in part two, we are going to dive into tributyrin. And this might be something that is very new to you. And it's definitely newer to me. And this is one of his products where I started taking it, but then I I had to stop because I went on a drainage protocol with more like a detox and gut support, and I didn't want to take the tributin while I was doing that. So I'm about to go back on it, but I did take it for like a two-week period, and the biggest significant difference that I noticed was outside of like gut support, it helps soothe my histamine, and that's actually one of the biggest Uh, benefits of taking this product is that it does help with soothing histamine and mast cell reactions. And I also noticed it really regulated my appetite. Like I didn't have cravings. I felt so balanced in between my meals. So I am, I don't work for his company. (laughs) I'm just sharing my experience of having used his products and how great they are. And so in part two, we are definitely going to dive into tributyrin. So stay tuned for that. It's going to release in a couple weeks, but it is known as a postbiotic for restoring gut health. And just stay tuned for that because we'll dive into that in a later episode. Okay, so before we officially dive in, if you want to get your hands on any of the Healthy Gut products, you can save $15 off. And if you are in the US, you can also get free shipping by using the coupon code HEALTHYHORMONES. So head on over to healthygut.com and enter the code HEALTHYHORMONES at checkout. It will save you that $15 and it will also save you free shipping if you're in the US. And sorry, if you're in Canada, you can save the $15, but it won't save you the free shipping. But definitely check them out healthygut.com, the three products, HCL Guard, Holozyme, and Tributerin X. All right, let's dive into our episode. Hi, Stephen. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Samantha. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. I am really excited to have you here today because you are like gut health expert extraordinaire. And I know we can just ask you all of the things gut health and our audience is really going to get so much value out of this. And before we officially dive in, I would love it if you can share with our audience more about who you are and what you do. Yeah, sure. I mean, the the short story, the, the non-hour long version is that I, like most people, had a lot of gut issues, a lot of issues altogether. And so I launched a sort of a very angry and emotional healing journey to try to figure this out. And I got really upset when people didn't know what I would find out. And so I started writing about it, building courses about it. I got certified in 
functional medicine with the Kalish Institute. My background in, in school is, is engineering. And so I often refer to myself as a medical engineer because that's kind of my focus of my engineering mind. But yeah, I, right. I mean, I had, I mean, we could go into the really gross and sad and emotional stories and we can go into what caused all of my IBS and my various issues. But the long and short of it was that Western medicine didn't help. And then even a lot of like well-intentioned alternative practitioners really didn't move the needle very much. And so I've kind of had to be one of those DIYers who's had to seek out the best of the best and then take what they taught me and integrate it into my world to make a breakthrough and then go find another super expert and maybe brain health, integrate that and on until we're here today. Amazing. So I do want to know all the intricacies of of your story and what you went through and your symptoms and how you felt. And the reason I do is because I know that there's a lot of people who are tuning in who are suffering and they've been through something very similar that you're going through or went through and they're kind of DIYing as well, right? And trying to figure it out. So if if you're open to sharing that, yeah, that'd be really valuable. Sure. Yeah. So I usually define people when I used to see people one-on-one, I would define them as from birthers or trigger events. So some people have just had Mm. health issues their whole life. I'm one of those. Some people had an event. They had a car crash, a concussion, a trip to Mexico, a divorce, Right. something happened. So my story starts at birth. I actually had a hydrocele hernia, which is basically where the ball sack doesn't officially form and your intestines get a little pinched. Okay. And so I could not Uh, really keep food down as an infant or soothe Mm. or anything for the first 12 weeks of life until a doctor listened to my mom, found the issue, gave me some drugs to relax it. And then I got to live, which was awesome. So I'd only gained a pound after 12 weeks. So, Oh my God. I can only imagine what your mother was going through, what your family was going through. Like that's such a stressful time. Yeah. Yeah. She's an amazing woman and she did her best and there was nothing anybody could do really. Right. So that's how I got started, which of course, despite having a vaginal birth and and the best intentions, the only thing I could take was soy formula. And that's what I was raised on. We had a pretty decent food growing up, but I had cystic acne. And so a dermatologist who was quote unquote, the best in the area gave me Bactrim DS, which is a pretty strong antibiotic for four years straight during high school. And I basically woke up one day after work in the hospital. I didn't really know what happened, but the antibiotic wiped out all my microbiome and only bifidobacteria was growing, which bifido is typically considered healthy, but it can be opportunistic if given free reign due to something like four years of straight antibiotics. For sure. So then I led the animal house beer and pizza fraternity life in college. (laughs) And, and then after college, when I had gained, like I was 245 ish, I still had my cystic acne. I was trying to lose it any way I could by doing like chicken and lettuce wraps and like whatever. I'd gotten my dream job two years after college. And I was working for a big four accounting firm in Chicago. I was a traveling consultant and basically things like, I think the stress of that lifestyle finally collapsed what was already a messed up gut. I mean, I had issues my whole life. Like my family nicknamed me the gas man in high school. Like I had a lot of, I had a lot of shame. I had a lot of issues in college. It was like, wait, you don't have to wake up an hour before classes to just sit on the toilet to just like get it all out. Right. Right. I don't. Oh, cause like, I didn't know. Cause I grew up in my family system and my family system is 
a family history of IBS. So we kind of all right. have some struggles there. Right. And then you go live in a fraternity house with like 50 different guys and you're like, oh, there's a lot of other bodies and they don't maybe smell as bad as I do, or they don't need to spend as much time in the bathroom as I do. Right. And that's when I think you finally, at least for myself, that's when I finally learned that normal does not mean optimal or healthy or anything. It just means what we grew up on. And there's so much shame and stigma and uh, grossness around poop and digestion. I think it's, luckily it's relaxing in our society, but, but I do want to get the word out there that like your normal may not be healthy. And it's something to look into if you're really trying to, to lead your best life and feel as good as you can. Right. Right. Wow. So what was the turning point where you were like, I have to figure this out. Like I really need to get help and get to the bottom of this. Yeah. All in like a six week time frame. I had to take like a, a speed commuter bus to get to work. So I'd get my suit on and I'd get on a commuter bus that would not stop for like 35 minutes straight downtown Chicago and like you're packed in like sardines. And I had one of those moments where the fart was not a fart. And I had to basically stand shoulder to shoulder with all these people in my suit in my best dressed oh. outfit. And then I was downtown and I couldn't get back. So then I had to walk to work and then clean my suit at work and then basically go to work the rest of the day. And so it was very humiliating. That was For very sure. gross. And then at that time period, it didn't matter what I ate, I would get really like pregnant belly bloated. And then if you have that issue, the only thing you want to do is fart. Like there's so much pain and pressure, right? You just want it out. And the problem is is a lot of times when you fart, then it smells. And so you're (laughs) stuck in this catch 22 (laughs) where you're like, the only thing I need to do is fart. But if I do that, there's consequences with my family or with my work. Totally. Yeah. But, but that was me every meal where I would load up a spreadsheet and just kind of softly cry at my desk in my cube because it Aww. hurt so bad. And then I would just like crop dust the whole office and they complained. <laughs> They're like, there's a smelly guy. He's it. And so my boss called me in and he was like, look, the, the office is, is calling you the smelly guy. Oh, uh, that's so You got to take care of this. Yeah, it was intense. That, that was my, I mean, everybody does have an emotional break point. And I'm rather dense, so I need a lot of them all on a, a time frame. <laughs> so yeah, that's what basically said, okay, this is a real issue. This is, I can't just suck this up. I can't just power on my way through this. I need to seek advisory. And that's when sure. the Western doctors basically tested me for celiac disease. I don't have the uh, genes for celiac. And back in 2008, 2009, no one considered gluten sensitivity to be real. So they didn't even tell me about that. Right. They just said, here's antibiotics, here's Metamucil figure it out, kid, you'll be all right. But that wasn't the case. And so that basically turned to anger. And I just kind of fell back on my engineering principles, which are in electrical engineering, you can't touch or feel or see electricity, you have to basically analyze a system that you don't know the insides and outs of you just have inputs and outputs. And it's, it's weird. And there's all these loops and things. And I started thinking about it one night. And I was like, wait, that's what I'm dealing with. I have a body. It's this, this system. I can't really see on the inside. I have these inputs and these outputs and I want them to be different. And then it kind of dawned on me that like, look, these doctors aren't helping. I'm trained in complex problem solving. All I have to do is find some people who've had this issue and they've found success. And then I can reverse engineer that to myself. And that's been my philosophy for 11 or 12 years now. Wow. What a story. And 
I'm certain you're not the only one (laughs) that was going through that and has had experiences like that and have really felt shame around like their body and embarrassing situations like that. So, okay. There's so many like areas I want to dive into here, starting with nutrition. First of all, from a nutritional perspective, have you found there to be a specific way to eat a better way to eat? to be really helpful when it comes to healing the gut? What does that really look like? Yeah. So what we eat is one of the biggest, I mean, think about it from a variable. That's how I think about things is on a risk spectrum and variable. So food, water, and air are like the biggest human consumption variables on a daily basis. Right. So the quality of those ingredients matter to your overall outcome. And if Mm -hmm. there's impurities in any of those, it's going to build over time because we do it so much. So food is super important. And I think there's a lot of gut health diets out there. There's a lot of like really conflicting advice. It can feel like a minefield out there, honestly. Totally. Yeah. And I've tried the majority of diets. I don't know how many diets I've tried, like 30 or 40 of them, because I was trying them before this journey, trying to be a strength and conditioning athlete and like trying to make it to college sports. So I have a history in a lot of weird diets. When it comes to digestion, I think the best idea that I can give people is that you should eliminate the things that are giving you problems and you should attempt to reintroduce those things as quickly as possible. Because what we know from the research at this point is that if you eliminate, for instance, let's take the FODMAP diet. Most people are like when it comes to an IBS diet or a digestive diet, most people these days First thought is FODMAP diet. Right. What we know from the research is if you eliminate FODMAP starting in week six, I believe, you start to lower your butyrate levels, your short chain fatty acid levels, and then it continues to go down and down. And if you're a clinician or you've talked to a lot of people like I haven't done this for a long time, that there's a large percentage. I don't know if it's 40, 50, 60%, but a big chunk of FODMAP people who get stuck on the reintroduction. It's like they eliminate it but then they just keep getting more and more reactive and they can't ever get back Mm. around the end to get a a diverse diet. And so in a way, if you're on these elimination diets for longer than three months, you're beginning to create your own dysbiosis in the microbiome. Right. And you're going to have to figure that out or handle that at some point. And so there's this weird dynamic where we, like if dairy, like dairy used to swell my sinuses shut. Like I would have like, just a piece of cheese on a burger or something. And I could just feel it go. Oh. And so I had to remove dairy and I, I didn't eat dairy again for like three years, but dairy is not necessarily needed for a healthy microbiome or for a healthy body. Right. Eggs, common allergen, again, super important, especially the choline and the yolk, but maybe not needed. You could remove them for a few years or nuts, legumes. Yes. But if you remove all complex carbohydrates, like what a specific carbohydrate does, what a GAPS diet does, what a FODMAP diet does, there are consequences to taking out all these complex carbohydrates and it's in the microbiome and it can create more food sensitivities and more food reactions and less oral tolerance over time. Okay. So you mentioned specific carbohydrate diet, and I know that this is something that 
you've written a lot about and like dove into a lot. I feel like when you were first, maybe I, I, I might have this wrong, but I know like I used to follow you way back in the day and you were like the person that was talking about the specific carbohydrate diet. There really wasn't anybody else. So I'm going to assume that like that was kind of the path you took yeah. and you started there when it came to gut health. Okay. So tell us more about that and what, yeah, what that diet actually is. Yeah. So the specific carbohydrate diet actually started at Vanderbilt university in the twenties, in the 1920s. Back then, if you were born a celiac baby, you would pretty much die. Like they, they had no real options for you. And so wow. these doctors back in Van, at, at this Vanderbilt uh, hospital were trying to solve that mystery. And they figured out just through trial and error on different food groups, certain ones that these celiac babies could handle. And fascinatingly enough, it was a lot of banana and a lot of milk and things like that. And they built what was the first version of the specific carbohydrate diet that was published in the management of celiac disease by Dr. Sidney Haas in the 19, I think 1951. Right. So the diet has a long history. And in 1951, they didn't know about gluten. They didn't know about, I don't know, pick your, you know, lectin, pick whatever you want to pick. Um, right. They just figured out food groups that people with IBS and celiac could tolerate. And then um, Elaine Gottschall furthered the, the diet with the Breaking the Vicious Cycle book. And she passed on, I believe in 91, or maybe that's when the book was published. And she passed on maybe in like 08 or something like that, 07. So then, yeah, Jordan, my co-founder at the time, and I picked up the diet because we felt like it needed a mantle. And it was the diet that really helped us when gluten-free didn't work, when dairy-free didn't work. It was the specific carbohydrate diet that really... I would say cut out 60% of my bloating in like one week, like awesome. boom, gone, like no more crying, no more like pregnant belly, still gassy, but not like it was. And so I'm a huge believer in pulling out like complex carbohydrates. That's basically what the, the specific carbohydrate diet is. It's a version of a FODMAP style diet where you're not eating anything processed out of a wrapper or package because they didn't trust companies back then to actually disclose the ingredients mm. appro appropriately. Right. And then, so you're making all your food from home, whole food diet, and you're cutting out as many complex carbohydrates as you can. And I believe the way that it works, and the reason why FODMAPS works is because in these states of celiac disease, the actual gold standard is that your villi, which are the hairs project, hair-like projections in your small intestine, they're blunted, they're cut off or they're damaged or, or mangled. That's really possible for all kinds of other digestive issues like SIBO, IBS, unexplained. You can lose these villi are what's responsible for brush border enzyme production. Right. And these brush border enzymes are the final stage to breaking down these complex carbohydrates or one of them. So if you lose the ability to break down your food at the human level, at the mechanical level, then any food you eat is a toxin. And so that's right. why these elimination diets work. That's why the, the symptoms go away. That's why SCD was so good for me at the time. And my belief is we just want to reintroduce those foods as fast as we can after we figure out what, what they are. But I do believe that the majority of people who have GI issues are dealing with a carbohydrate problem, not necessarily. I mean, there are definitely people with protein and fat issues, but the right. predominant one is, is a failure to properly break down all types of fibers 
and prebiotics and vegetable matter and carbohydrates, basically. Wow. Okay. So I was going to ask you like to break down when you say complex carbohydrates or somebody is like, what do you mean? Like all my vegetables and even fruits and like, yeah. Can you break that down in more detail? Yeah. And this is super complex. And so I hope either fast forward, if you want to rewind <laughs> some of the times, this took me years to get. I Seriously. Bet. So in biochemistry, they classify carbohydrates based on the length or the size of the molecule. Right. Our body can only really absorb small molecules, mono something or other. An amino acid is one small protein molecule. A monosaccharide is one small uh, sugar molecule like glucose or fructose. Those are yep. the only monosaccharides. That's what we can absorb as a human. Anything bigger than that is either is, is basically a complex carbohydrate. And those are broken down by disaccharides, which is two sugar molecules bonded together or polysaccharides, meaning many, and they could be infinite. And so if you're just drinking straight cane sugar or <laughs> fructose or something, that's a straight monosaccharide. And there are certain fruits and vegetables that are much more heavily weighted towards monosaccharides than they are polysaccharides. Right. And so it's that breaking down of the polysaccharide complex and the loss of the enzymes that do that and the microbiome enzymes that do that, that I think is where specific diets, like the specific carbohydrate diet or the FODMAPs diet are really helping people because they're, you're now avoiding that whole breakdown process. Right. So what did really your diet look like? Like what were you eating from day to day? So if you're in a flare right now, if you're like in an IBD flare or you're like a massive like loose stool flare, something like that, I would suggest starting with what's called the intro diet with the specific carbohydrate diet. And I can simplify that to basically cooked meats, fruits, and vegetables. So all cooked, no raw, straight up meats, single vegetables, like, you know, like squash or carrots, things like that, green beans, not your legume vegetables, and then cooked fruits, like cooked apples, cooked pears, things like that. And so that's where I started. Yeah. Everything cooked. And then I built out from there and it's still based on how digestion actually works. That's still probably the safest place for someone who's like really tumbling down, you know, spiraling down and doesn't know how to get basically needs this, an intervention to stop the pain and stop the issues and stay right. out of the hospital. That's still, I think the best go-to place is, is just start there and then begin to add in food groups after that. Got it. Okay. Well, I'm assuming you have probably a link that I could send people to on your site that maybe breaks it down in, in more detail with the specific carbohydrate diet. Yeah, we do have a free opt-in that shares the intro diet and gives okay, you like great. day by day, what I was eating, what we did with like, I think we did it with like over maybe a, close to 50,000 people have purchased that ebook and gone through that program now. So like a decent amount. Wow. Okay. That's awesome. I will link that up in our show notes for sure. Cause I'm sure people want to take a look at that. And then with the reintroduction phase, like you're saying to reintroduce foods as quickly as possible, but I feel like, how would you actually know? When do you really know it's time? And are you working on other factors so that when you do reintroduce the food, you could better tolerate it? Like, what does that really look like? Yeah. I think I need to share two more philosophical ways I view healing first okay. so that people can have a framework. And so sure. my belief is, and this is based on my own behavior change and working with, you know, hundreds of people over the years, people are, as a human, we're pretty terrible at incremental change. We kind of need 
to rip the bandaid off and like focus on behavior change because it can be really hard to figure out your food yes. and your supplements. Like if you're just, if it's a part-time hobby, you, you're going to be guessing forever. For you're sure. playing whack-a-wall. You're never going to figure it out. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of like, all right, go all in for 90 days, just or 60 days commit. And so when you do that, maybe you can use a food journal at that point and really try to figure things out. My other big philosophical point is I would like to get people stable and out of acute pain as fast as possible, because I know that if you get results, you will stick it out. Totally. You'll find out why. And so I would say, change your diet, go on an elimination diet of your choice. Maybe it's SCD, maybe it's something else. And support your body with all the mechanical needs it might be missing at the moment to break down foods. And we'll talk more about stomach acid and enzymes and butyrate here later. But if your body can't break it down, just eliminating it won't allow your body to break it down when you bring it back. So you've got to get the foundation working so that when you reintroduce the foods, you have a chance at bringing them back. Okay. Awesome. So yeah, I definitely do want to dive into enzymes and HCL and all of that. But before we do, I'd love to know, considering that you've worked with so many people over the years, like what have you found to be some of the biggest factors that contribute to an unhealthy gut? There's a lot, right? So mm-hmm. and everyone's so, so individual. So yeah. I mean, again, think about trigger events. These things don't happen randomly and they're oftentimes clustered around major stressful life events or trauma events. So car crashes, divorces, breakups, physical abuse, concussions, a really stressful work delivery project. And then like you went on vacation and got Montezuma's revenge in Mexico or something like this is basically your immune system and or your body getting injured such that your digestion begins to, to shut down. Like you're you start to make too much inflammatory cytokines, you get a leaky gut right away. You could, if you're chronically using antibiotics or if you're chronically eating a Western diet, you can skew your microbiome, create dysbiosis that creates the conditions for SIBO or CIFO. So there's, I don't think it's just one thing. Oftentimes it's a cascade, but if you want to protect your, your gut, eat a lot of fermented foods, like say grace or say gratitudes before you eat, slow down and try to eat a, a wide range of foods. Awesome. Th- those are the biggest things. Yeah. I love how you, two things there. Number one, I love that you talked about eating a wide range of food because I think variety is big. And I, I always say to my clients, like if I were to follow you around for seven days, you're probably eating the same foods over and over, um, like the same six or seven foods over and over. Like we just don't have enough variety in our diet. And then I also love that you are talking about like traumatic events, because I think when people think about health or just an unhealthy gut, for example, they don't relate that to, I got a concussion or I had this busy project at work, or I got into an argument with my spouse or I got divorced. Like most people wouldn't think like, how is that going to give me an unhealthy gut? They don't make that connection there. So I'm thankful that you kind of mentioned that and went there. Yeah. Cause I think that it really is like, I can think back about my history and being someone that has autoimmune. I think back like, okay, I was a C-section baby. I was formula fed for a few months. Like my mother breastfed me for a few months and then put me on 
formula. I went on antibiotics as a kid and like little things, not even little things. These aren't little things, but like being bullied at school for like years and not wanting to go to school, Um, like pretending I was sick so that I wouldn't have to go to school. Like that's a traumatic event when you're a child, right? Totally. And then you get older and like went on vacation, caught a parasite, went on the birth control. It was like all these things. It's not something that like, oh, I feel, I don't feel good today. My gut's off. What did I eat? That's part of it. But it's like, let me look back in the history of all of these things that have happened. Right. The food you ate today is the tip of the spear, but it go, it's a big spear. And it goes back in time. And yeah, you're right on. I mean, and that stuff compounds over years. Like this idea, this might be a hot take. I don't think it is, but (laughs) for some people listening, it will be. There's no such thing as, oh, he had a heart attack out of the blue, or he had a heart or a stroke out of the blue, or she just got autoimmune disease out of the blue. That that is not Not true. If you did a detailed life history with someone who is being vulnerable and authentic as a trained practitioner, you would find a example of what Samantha just laid out. And so these things don't just happen. Like cancer just doesn't show up. Totally. Right. right. It's been happening. The, the processes has been happening for, for potentially decades. Yep. Absolutely. Like I think back to when I was first diagnosed with autoimmune Hashimoto's in 2017. And I'm like, that doesn't mean that's when it showed up. The symptoms showed up for me in 2017, but if I had looked back maybe 10 years prior or even longer and actually had done the testing, I'm sure I would have seen something underlying there. But symptomatically is when it really reared its its head for me in 2017. Okay. So let's switch gears. Let's talk a little bit about enzymes. You mentioned enzymes and obviously those are important for breaking down our food and whatnot. So can you explain a little bit more why they're important and how they actually work? Yeah, sure. So enzymes, like the best way to remember this, if you're just trying to figure this stuff out is enzymes speed up reactions and they, they speed up the breakdown of your food. Your body makes them, but your body can, for a number of reasons, like not make enough of them, lose the capacity to make them, not get them there in time. There's a lot of ways in which the body can basically, let's say you need a hundred percent of your enzymes to digest a meal. It might only be giving you 70 or 60 or 50. And in that case, it creates this whole cascade that we'll talk about in a minute. But enzymes basically take that polysaccharide we talked about, and they chop it all the way down into a monosaccharide, or they take a protein ball and they chop it down into an amino acid. Right. So that's basically what your enzymes do. You have, there's some enzymes in your saliva. There's a bunch of pepsin, which is a main protein enzyme in your stomach. The, the big star of the show is typically the pancreatic enzymes that come in at the top of the small intestine. Then you have your brush border enzymes, which I tend to believe are actually like some of the most important. And then you have microbiome enzymes and microbiome enzymes are actually the en- enzymes released by the gut bacteria in order to free up more food for them. And then they, it's a symbiotic relationship inside of our gut where they get nutrients, we get nutrients, things like that. Right. Okay. So we produce our own enzymes, but then we can also supplement with enzymes to like further assist the breakdown. Why would we want to supplement? And also I want to dive into here, like 
you started your own supplement line, which is great. And it makes sense that you dove into the world of digestive support, given your history. And like, so I know you have an amazing enzyme. I've used all your products and I used your Holozyme when I was traveling in BC because I knew I'd be eating a little bit more than usual and a little bit more than usual, but also like different foods too. And so they were fantastic. It was like two weeks of just not feeling bloated and just feeling so great after my meals. And I took two with each meal and it was really great. So my question, supplementing with enzymes, like what do we want to look for? What's really the benefit there? Also, like are we relying on them long-term? Yeah. What does that kind of look like? Yeah. A lot of questions there. So help me if I can get one. Um, (laughs) I probably already did. (laughs) (laughs) So a, a big question a lot of people have is, will taking enzyme supplements either cause me to be dependent on them or shut down my own internal production? Right. And the answer to that is a flat no. I have consulted with as many people as I can. I've looked at the biology, the anatomy, the research papers. I have yet to even find a credible hypothesis or theory as to a feedback loop in which taking them actually like harms the body or shuts down its own internal production. It's something I care deeply about because I will probably take my own product for like the rest of my life. For sure. So, so the answer to that is no at, at this point. And then as we look into who would want to take them, it would be anybody with any sort of GI upset, pain, heartburn, bloating, gas, constipation, diarrhea, just food sensitivities. Like all of these are gross markers that gross meaning large markers, non-specific markers of you could have an enzyme deficiency or an enzyme malfunction happening. Right. So the question then is, where is it at? Is it in the stomach? Is it in the, is it in the pancreas? Is it the small intestine or is it the microbiome? Right. And that's a really complex question that we don't really have the testing to figure out. Actually, we can't right. really test for brush border enzyme production or microbiome enzyme production. We have a, some markers for, for pancreatic enzyme function, but they're like retroactive, right? They're in your stool. It's not like live what's Got happening. It. Right. And so I tend to say, buy a product that's going to cover all your bases. Because again, I'm an engineer. I want the biggest factor of success with the lowest risk. Mm -hmm. And so if we can't identify exactly where the problem is, we should cover all our bases, knowing that there's not a big risk if you don't need them and you're just kind of wasting it, but it's not hurting you. So find a supplement that's going to cover your pancreatic enzymes, your brush border enzymes, and microbiome enzymes all in the same capsule. That way whatever your issue, and you could have all three, it's taken care of. So that's part of what I do with Holozyme was I created it because a lot of them out there are high pancreatic. They don't put a lot of brush border or they're pancreatic brush border, but they don't really have any microbiome support. And so I, I just wanted to have a a product that I could recommend to people. And like 80% of the time, I know that they're going to like it. And so that's part of what Holozyme is, why it's created and, and why it was done. So that's when you're thinking of it at a broad, broad spectrum, that's what you want to look for. And then you also want to try to find something with minerals added to it. So if it's a vegetarian based enzyme, it's grown in a lab, it's not extracted from a cow or a pig, it is going to be what's called an APO enzyme. APO in science means without. So it's an enzyme without its mineral, a whole enzyme W H O L E is the type of enzyme produced by an animal. And it's a enzyme with a mineral. So 
most of the enzymes out there on the market do not have any minerals to actually turn them on and be the cofactor. So you're basically hoping that by chance, the meal you ate, there's a liberated mineral in which the enzyme meets the mineral. They have a little happy dance and they turn on and go to work. Like Mm -hmm. you're basically hoping for the needle in the haystack love story (laughs) with your enzymes. (laughs) And so I met a scientist when I was trying to solve this problem because for years I've recommended like two $90 bottles of enzymes. Like I used to say, all right, take Thorn Dipan 9, which is like 90 bucks a bottle and digest gold ATP pro and take two of both brands at the same time. Wow. Because that was the only way that I could get like 50% of people would say like, I think this is helping my bloating's going down. Right. And I could never explain to you why that was. I just thought it was the difference between high pancreatin enzymes and the brush water microbiome enzymes. I just thought that was it, but it still was pretty ineffective. If you ask me, it's too big of amount of people who aren't getting what they want. And so this scientist in Utah figured out the biochemistry around turning these enzymes on and he put, he got a patent on it. Um, and he's been doing clinical studies with it and, and had it on the market for like 20 years almost, but just never got the word out. And so I was able to work with him, license his patent and bring in more digestive oriented things for the microbiome and whatnot and build holozyme. And so that was the big epiphany to me. Cause I just thought that like maybe brands were being cheap. Like maybe they weren't willing to put enough milligrams in a bottle, but that wasn't the case. Like the more I took, it still wouldn't work. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can definitely attest to it. They're really fantastic. And it is also a supplement that like enzymes I've been taking ongoing for so long. Yeah. It's always a part of my regimen. And just going back to, do I take this long-term? Do I have to? Yeah. That's for, especially for me because digestion is kind of like my area of weakness that is um, going to be a long-term supplement for me. But at the same time, I noticed such a difference with it. Like why wouldn't I, I want to continue taking it? It could really be the difference between, yeah, like feeling bloated and not feeling bloated and well, I don't want to feel like I'm seven months pregnant when I'm not pregnant. So yeah, it's, it really is, is a game changer. So I love that you did the research on that and you really dove in there. I had never heard about it in that way with the minerals. So I really appreciate you breaking that down. So I want to dive into hydrochloric acid because I know you also have a product HCL guard, and I feel like this is an area that people are really confused about because they feel like they have too much acid, which is why they have all these digestive symptoms or heartburn and acid reflux showing up. And often that's not necessarily the case. So if we could just speak a little bit to hydrochloric acid and like the importance of it and yeah, factors that are even lowering the hydrochloric acid. Yeah, for sure. And help me circle around later to like actionable enzyme tips for people who have other brands at home. Later. Oh, so we'll awesome. come back okay. to that. So, so HCL, I think the stomach is like one of the most underrated organs. Like we just like shove a bunch of stuff in our throat <laughs> and like swallow it. And we're like, I, at least I'm guilty of like hardly chewing sometimes. Right. And like, I mean, think about it, pick up your favorite nut. I don't care if you're an almond person or a walnut person, but like you chop that like five times, you're still looking at like pieces and you can't break those with your fingers. It's even hard to break them with like a hammer sometimes. I mean, that's a little aggressive, but it's your stomach is taking in that nut and it's able to begin to break that down with its acid and its pepsin and its intrinsic factors. And it's like churning motion. 
And so it's a really cool organ. It gets down to less, like the acid levels are stronger than battery acid in there. So it's a really cool organ. And that acid bath that your food takes after you eat it is really important for a few things. Number one, you're sterilizing it. So all these all the talk now about you know bacterias and, and viruses and parasites and all these microscopic creatures that we're acutely aware of in today's world, well, your number one defense against those is strong stomach acid because it is going to kill all those bugs off, which is what we want before we dump it into the small intestine where there's not as much of a defense mechanism. It could be easier for them. Number two, the big thing that stomach acid does is it unfolds protein balls. So people may have heard about protein folding and how that's really important for neurodegenerative diseases and all these cool cellular functions. Well, your protein kind of exists in nature like these balls. And stomach acid in high acid environments help the protein begin to open up. And that allows the enzymes like pepsin to go in there and start cutting it up and breaking it down. Otherwise, it's like these like small little, you know, things are trying to get at it and they're getting little pieces, but they can't really do their work. So stomach acid is really important for liberating minerals like vitamins like B12, uh, B6, magnesium, iron, calcium, all those things. It's sterilizing things and then getting the pH right to set the speed of your digestion because people who have too slow of digestion and too fast of digestion, one of the biggest regulators of the speed is the pH and that's set in the stomach. And so have good stomach and a stomach acid that's working appropriate is like pretty big because it's the first domino in the speed chain if you're sure. a too slow person or a too fast, fast person. Right, right. Okay. I love how you broke that down. So what are some factors that might lower somebody's hydrochloric acid? So it's really hard to make stomach acid if you're in a sympathetic nervous system state. So if you're in fight or flight, because you're, you only got like 12 minutes between meetings or the baby just took a nap and you're like, I got to get so many things done or it's just a stressful time period. It's almost impossible to make enough stomach acid. You need to be in parasympathetic mode, which actually brings us back the callback to the, the sort of sage advice or grandma's advice around saying a prayer or saying gratitude, because those are two really fast ways to shift your nervous system to more parasympathetic dominant than sympathetic. Right. So that's like, I would say the number one offending factor, but there's plenty more there. This is doctors who do stomach acid testing on people with IBS complaints. They find somewhere between 70 to 80% of those people have low stomach acid. So if you're having IBS issues of any type, your likelihood of having this are higher. And some things that could be at play are poor nutrient status. You need zinc you need some B vitamins, you need some other minerals to create stomach acid. It could be H. pylori is a parasite that basically shuts off localized stomach acid release in your stomach. And then hormones and and the pill, you mentioned the pill earlier, that can also make the stomach acid a little wonky as well. For sure. For sure. Okay. But there's hope to replenish our hydrochloric acid, right? (laughs) There is, there is. So Dr. Jonathan Wright was probably the most famous doctor to kind of write a book about this and popularize this in the nineties. People have been working with stomach acid for decades now. And the number one way to kind of bring it back is with BKNHCL HCL supplementation. Now you can use other things like bitters or apple cider vinegar, things like that, but in general, they don't seem to get the job done long-term 
and they seem to be really hit or miss. Also, your pH in your stomach should drop from about a three on the pH scale down to around a one and a half ish. And at that point, your, your stomach starts to let go of the food into the small intestine. Apple cider vinegar, I think is a 2.6 or a 2.5 on the pH scale. So there's some, I have a lot of reservation about saying like it can definitely do the job because I don't know that it can ever get strong enough on the pH scale. It might, but there is a lot of like old wives tales again, or grandma's advice around drink a Coke. If you have an upset stomach, well, Coke has a pH of like 2.52 or something. So it's right around the apple cider vinegar and it can help settle a stomach. So there's a lot of these weird things, but the best thing to do is betaine HCL with pepsin. And it's been around for decades. That's what I use within a first like two weeks of starting the specific carbohydrate diet. And it was like immediate, like once I did the HCL challenge, I was like, holy cow. So like food really matters and (laughs) supplements really matter. And like, (laughs) wow. So I've been a huge HCL proponent and user and researcher on it for the last 10 years. The hope, and this does happen for a percentage of people, is that if you supplement with it long enough and you rebuild the natural processes, the, you reabsorb all your minerals and you kind of train your stomach what how to work, you will end up usually coming off of the HCL. It happened to me after three years and I was off HCL for like two and a half, three years as well. And then I had some major stressful events in my life right around the timing of the, the launch of the supplements, which is why I built one and, and started using it again. <laughs> So you can do this today. You can go to your local pharmacy or your local drugstore and pick up some BTNHCL and just take one. It's a $20 test that literally could change your life. Like a lot of people who have low stomach acid, when they first start finding their ideal dosage of HCL with pepsin, they're like, oh my gosh, how did no one ever tell me about that? Right, right. So can you break down that test a little bit more? And what are we actually looking for? We're taking a BTNHCL and what are we looking for? Yeah. So you're going to take one capsule with uh, your dinner and, and hopefully with your dinner, you're going to have at least 10 grams of protein. So it doesn't matter what kind, and you're just going to sit back and wait. If nothing happens, then you go to the next phase, which is to take two tomorrow and you keep increasing uh, until you reach a state where you feel some sort of hotness, heat, or loose stools. So the hotness heat thing happens for like I would say around 70% of people, all you do, if you feel that is a, is a teaspoon of baking soda in a small amount of water. It's that's a base. It's a very neutral base. It'll knock the acid down and you should be good to go. But I don't know. It's around 30% of people don't feel that. And what they instead feel, and this kind of makes sense if you understand anatomy, but if you get too acidic, you're going to speed everything up and you'll end up with like loose stools or everything feels too fast. And so Whenever you reach that point, maybe it's on pill number five or pill number four, your ideal dose for your body right now is one less than that. So if it got to four, three is your number at meals. If it was five, your number's four, that type of thing. Got it. And then you're saying to, so then you would supplement, for example, three at each meal and you would do that ongoing for, I mean, however long it's really needed essentially. Yeah. Yep. However long at some point you'll either naturally run out of pills and then you'll do your own pill stop and you'll test it and you'll know within a week, like, Oh, "Oh, for sure. Wow. Like I really need my HCL still, or you might be like, I don't know if it's doing anything anymore. And so if that's the case, then just move on and test it again in six months to a year. If you 
don't like how your digestion is feeling. Right. Okay. So tell us a little bit more about HCL guard. And I mean, I'm pretty clear why you created (laughs) this product, but tell us, yeah, a little bit more about that. So when I, like I, we were talking ahead of time, but I buy these old books like from the the twenties and thirties and forties and fifties, because I like to know what the doctors and scientists back then thought about digestion. And so when I was learning about how we discovered stomach acid and, and all these texts, they kept talking about intrinsic factor. And it was just like a known thing that your stomach releases this thing called intrinsic factor. It's kind of like a bouncer for B12. So when B12 is released, it's a very fragile molecule. Intrinsic factor comes in and like just couples with it and protects it and moves it down into the small intestine where it can be absorbed and we can get it. And how you know that that's how I theorize that we know that this is low and low stomach acid is, is that oftentimes with low stomach acid, you can get B12 and not low iron, B12, low iron. What's that called? Low ferritin with secondary to B12 loss. Can't wow. think of the name right now. It's a type of, basically it's a type of low iron status that is not because you have low iron. It's because you don't have enough B12, perniscus anemia. That's what it is. Got it. So that is often correlated with low stomach acid. And so my theory for years has been that if you have low stomach acid, you're not making enough intrinsic factors as well. And so why don't we put that in a capsule? We're, we're replacing the pepsin, we're replacing the hydrochloric acid. Why are we not replacing the intrinsic factors? Right. And I guess I found out once I tried to create my own supplement, which is that there's only like two sources in the whole world and it's hard to get and it's very expensive. And so ours is flown in from Argentina. And I think that's part of what makes it special as a product. And then I put in some prokinetics because most people with low stomach acid struggle with their ability to do peristalsis. And ginger is one of the best studied prokinetics. It basically helps your stomach create the waves that move the food through your body. And so, especially for the constipated folks, the addition of the prokinetic can really like brand over brand. One of the biggest things we hear is that you might use seven pills of a different brand, but only use four or five of our brand. Right. Awesome. Okay. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm a big fan. They've helped me tremendously. And I know that there is also a third product Tributerin X, but we're going to save that for part two because it's fascinating how it works. And it was something that was very new to me. And I'd love to spend some time on another episode to just really dive deeper into that so we can kind of bring it all full circle. But you mentioned to circle back to enzymes. And for those at home who maybe have some digestive enzymes, the best way to use them and optimize them. But what are your suggestions around that? Yeah. So as you might be getting now, I'm a bit of a weirdo. And I guess that's my gift I'm trying to give to the world, which is that like, I have to go to the end of the rabbit hole. And my end of my rabbit holes is usually a lot farther than most folks. And and also the universe just kind of blesses me with a lot of challenge in my life that I get (laughs) to try to overcome. And what I learned due to some cancers around me is that there are some cancer schools of thought that use high dose systemic enzyme therapy, and they see pretty good results with this. And it's coupled with a lot of other factors. So I'm not claiming that systemic enzyme therapy like cures cancer or anything like that. I'm just saying it can be an important part of a healing protocol for cancers. But what shocked me the most, other than learning more about systemic enzymes, which I love their systemic benefits is that the dosages they used were like 130 to 160 capsules a day on an empty stomach. Whoa. 
Yeah, which for some brands is the whole bottle of enzymes in one day. And I was like, hold on. Like when you go through functional medicine training or integrative medicine training, a lot of times they tell you your digestive enzymes are very important. Take two with a meal, take three, but they don't, I I guess I sort of assumed like you could take too many or you don't want to go higher in dosage. And that's just not the case. I don't know how it started. Maybe no one ever really explored it, but what I'm finding is that dosages of enzymes is very specific, kind of like HCL. And some of you at home have a brand of probably a nice brand of enzymes and you may be taking two per meal and just going like, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what's doing anything. So what I'm saying is that the safety profile of enzymes in humans, like talk to with your doctor, if you're very concerned, all the standard language there, cause I'm not mm-hmm. a doctor and I don't have any relationships with y'all, but I'm saying that you could try four, you could try six, right. you could try eight with your meal. And as long as the brand's a practitioner brand, you may still get that perfect mineral marriage and it might actually work. And so don't throw away whatever enzymes you have and don't throw away the concept of enzyme therapy because you don't want to use our enzymes or something, but do experiment with your dosages at home. And then the other thing you can do is you could take trace minerals with your meal and that Mm. would kind of stimulate the whole enzyme. It won't be exactly specific because we have like patented numbers that match with our enzymes and it's like a whole thing. But if you're trying to replicate holozymes at home, you have these ingredients, you're a DIYer, biohacker, whatever, give it a shot because I don't like it when people waste money. And I wish someone a long time ago would have told me, hey, it's okay if you take four or six. Right. Yeah, that's a really good point. And there were times like I've found for me, two has been a great dose for me, but there's definitely been times, especially when I know my meal is lasting a little bit longer than usual. And I'm eating just a little, like a lot more, like we had a five course meal, like things like that. I take more. Yeah. I definitely take, I take more and I might start the meal with two and then halfway through, I take another two just because it's, yeah, I'm just eating a lot more and the meal is going on longer than usual. So yeah, no, thanks for mentioning that. And yeah, that was all really great. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. Before I let you go, any like quick three tips, like take your enzymes, (laughs) eat whole foods. Like what does it look like? What are some quick uh, tips that our audience can go and implement to really optimize the health of their gut and digestive system? Um, Yeah. I mean, take holozymes. (laughs) Your brain, I can see it. Like you're just ruminating. Yeah. Yeah. There's like so many things popping off right now. So I got to try to grab a few out of the ethers here. Either take holozymes with your meals and before bed, or take whatever enzyme you have in the house with your meals and before bed. The systemic part of enzymes cannot be understated. And I think it's one of the most underrated anti-aging tools that we could talk about at, a, at another time. It's really cool from an anti-aging standpoint. I love that. Uh, so, okay, before you go into the other tips. So taking before bed, so even on an empty stomach, like it doesn't, because you're basically, for example, I think of like enzyme, which is like a proteolytic enzyme, something that somebody yep. takes for systemic you know, inflammation. I think that, yeah, a lot of people are confused that, oh, I can only take digestive enzymes for digestive reasons for, with my meals, but it's totally okay to take outside of there. In, in fact, you're saying very helpful for aging and whatnot. Yes. Yes. Actually, Holozyme's six pilot clinical studies on humans were dosed at two per meal and two before bed. So Ooh, the like best that. way to think about digestive and systemic is with food and without food. Yeah. 
so a lot of the same types of enzymes and the same strains are just relabeled and put in a systemic formulation. Now they are different and there are specialty systemic enzymes that Wobenzyme has some, Fibrenza has some. So there's, there are studied strains like serapepsidase that right. for instance, are not in our product and, and not really considered a digestive enzyme, right. just like our product contains xylanase, which is a microbiome specific enzyme for polyphenols that you probably wouldn't put it in there unless you were trying to help people with vegetable and fruit digestion. Got it. Um, so that being said, the heavy lifters of basically doing the systemic stuff is the proteolytic enzymes. And so as long as your brand has a high number of, of protease in it, it's going to still do the job. Got and there's some theory out there that maybe lipase and amylase also help in the systemic enzyme therapy. That's not been proven right or proven wrong at this point. Right. But if you're someone with autoimmune issues, we know that there's these things called circulating immune cells mm -hmm. uh, or immune complexes, CICs. It's basically when a foreign particle and an antigen meet, now they're a CIC. So the antigen is the immune system saying, hey, this is a bad thing. It's a piece of bacteria. It's a piece of food that's the wrong size. Now it's tagged and this gets filtered over to like the liver and the spleen and the kidneys to get rid of. And that's kind of the detoxification process for that. However, you have a fixed detoxification supply every day. And so if you have right. too many CICs being formed due to leaky gut, due to other factors, your body stores them. It has to, because they're very inflammatory bouncing around in your blood. So it puts them in places. And so when they study like lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, a lot of these complex autoimmune conditions, they find high CIC counts. And I think it's kind of interesting. It's almost like the body has like a pre-programmed genetic code, which it does. Yep. And it's almost like we all have weak links, which we all do. We have a family mm -hmm. history. Yep. And it's almost like the CICs get deposited wherever these genetic weak links are. I don't know, again, if that'll ever be proven true, right. but it's, it's plausible. And the cool thing about uh, systemic enzyme therapy is that they have been shown to help block the formation of CICs, help regulate the immune function so it's not too out of balance one way or the other, and it helps eat up the CIC. So it helps dissolve them after they've been stored other places. So that's beyond the Im improvement in inflammatory uh, cytokine, like reducing that. It's beyond the breakdown of fibrin, which is kind of like the stickiness of your blood, which can improve improve blood flow. So there's a lot of things that systemic enzymes can do, but for autoimmune conditions and like rashes and weird skin stuff, you'd be surprised what taking those on an empty stomach, our brand or other brands, you might find these random weird things that you've always battled mm. kind of just slowly disappear. I am taking two before bed tonight. Thanks for that. <laughs> yeah. I always take your enzymes with my meals, but I'm still going to take them before bed tonight. And I don't know why I didn't even think to do that. It's probably well, it's because I- no, it's because the, it's because the companies have sort of trained us that there's a digestive enzyme and, totally. and there's a systemic. Yes. Enzyme. Yes, totally. Okay. You know, yeah. I'm so doing that. Thanks for that tip. And I kind of cut you off there because we were, you were going to dive into some other tips that, that people can implement for gut health. What are some yeah, other ones? One big thing is you want microbiome diversity. Like we know that microbiome diversity, we lose that as we age. There's a lot of nutrients and signaling that come from the microbiome. So it's almost like an anti-aging thing to protect your microbiome. There's a lot of research dollars going into how can we stop the microbiome loss in order to improve what it feels like to be 60, 70, 80 and onward. And 
a cool study that just came out was fermented foods versus added fiber in your diet. And mm. the fermented foods kicked, which I did not expect, kicked the fibers, butt. Interesting. as far as microbiome diversity. So if you can, there's been a lot of talk over the years about how you should eat fermented foods on a daily basis. And there hasn't really been much data other than historically looking at populations and how people feel. But this is one of the first pieces of true data saying, yeah, you should probably supplement with fibers and prebiotics. Those are very helpful as well, but don't neglect the fermented foods because their ability to, to have a diverse microbiome is stronger than just, I think they just added inulin to the diet, but yeah. So don't forget the fermented foods. And then the third thing, one of the biggest things I can say is I like to give tips to people who are in a lot of pain because those emotional breakpoints we talked about earlier, for sure. I want to really try to reach people when they're there, because that's when you can change the course of someone's life onto a better path where they don't repeat the same mistakes over and over yeah. and the same things that have happened in their family system for generations. And so if you're in a bad place, one of the coolest things you can do is just do a 24 or a 36 hour, 48 hour water fast. So give your gut a break, just chill. Especially if you're someone who's uh, refractory IBD, you're headed into the hospital, those types of things, just chilling with a fast can really help the gut just calm everything down. So do that and please say gratitude or prayer mm. before you eat because it costs nothing. And it's like one of the foolproof ways to get you more parasympathetic. Amazing. I love that. That's so great. You gave us four tips there. So thank you so much for that. And really this isn't over because we're going to have you back and we're going to chat part two and we're going to dive into buterin. And for those who are like, what? is this? <laughs> How does this benefit me? And I can definitely share my experience with that. It's yeah. It's going to be as big as probiotics or bigger. I'm so excited to dive into that and really share that with our audience. So thank you, Stephen, for being with us today. We will connect for part two. And in the meantime, where can our audience find you and connect with you? Yeah, they should definitely use the, the coupon code healthygut.com forward slash, what do we say it was? healthygut.com forward slash healthy hormones. Yep. Yes. And you can find all my work there. We do have a uh, customers only Facebook group that I'm active in and my health coaches, we have health coaches on the team to help people with their dosing. Because as you notice from this podcast, I believe that individualized dosing of really good products is kind of the, the most important factor for success when you're trying to figure these things out. So for sure. So those two are the two places to find me. Awesome. Well, we will have that all in the show notes and everyone could go use our coupon code, save $15 off the products. And also it's free shipping in the US and they do ship to Canada as well. And I highly encourage my Canadian friends to try them out because yeah, they, they are really fantastic supplements. So thank you, Stephen, again, for being with us and we'll chat again real soon. Thank you. Thank you, ladies, so much for tuning into our episode today. I really hope you enjoyed it and got a lot of value out of that. If you had any aha moments or anything you'd like to share with me, come find me over on Instagram at Holistic Wellness Foodie. And again, as a reminder, you can head on over to healthygut.com. If you want to try any of Steven's products, use the coupon code HEALTHYHORMONES. It will save you $15 and free shipping if you are in the US. Thanks so much for being with us today. If you haven't left us a rating and a review, you know how much 
much. We appreciate that. It means so much. I love reading them. It also helps our podcast and these episodes get noticed by more women globally. And that's what we're here to do, to support more women on their wellness journey, on their health journey, on healing their hormones. Really excited to share this information with women all over the world and really appreciate it when you help us do that. So thank you again, and I'll chat with you next week. Have an awesome day.